Welcome to the Eddie Height Podcast. I am your teacher and host, Eddie Height. So glad you joined me today as we continue our exciting series about characteristics of a heaven-sent revival. Oh, how we need such a heaven-sent revival in all the churches today, regardless of denomination. And it only comes in response to the sincere, bold, and fervent prayers of a remnant of God's people. And I believe God is gathering together such a remnant now of intercessors and prayers who are going to pray down the power of God. And we will see another great awakening sweep across the land. Now, for the last few days, this week, we've been talking about revival praying and characteristics of the kind of prayer that brings revival. Because you see, real revival cannot be planned and strategized on a human plane and a human level. No, it comes from heaven. It is given in response to the fervent, sincere, and bold prayers of God's people. And so revival and prayer and the Holy Spirit are always connected. It is the Holy Spirit that brings the life of revival, because the word, as we, we mentioned starting out in this series, the word revival comes from the Latin word be, meaning life, and the prefix are, meaning again, literally life again. And uh, uh, it it assumes that there has been a loss of life, that the church has uh, degenerated into just going through outward motions and rituals and forms, and the life is no longer there, the life and power of the Holy Spirit. And so in real revival, God breathes his Holy Spirit up upon a congregation, upon a community, upon a nation, and there is life. Once again, people's hearts are stirred. They are passionate. Uh, you don't have to give them a, a, a course on witnessing. They are so stirred and passionate about the Lord in their hearts that they want to tell people about Jesus. This is revival. This is for what we're praying. And today we're going to emphasize another characteristic of revival praying is praying in the spirit, spirit-empowered prayer. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. And uh, he says in Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Oh, we have a weakness when it comes to praying, because we don't know what to pray about. We don't know what Satan and his demons are, are scheming and planning for our lives. There are so many things out there that if we knew about them, we would probably pray about them, but we don't know. So Paul says, because of our weakness, in this area, the Spirit helps us in this weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as well, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Wow. This is Spirit-empowered praying. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered or these deep feelings down in our heart that cannot be articulated in our regular speech, in our regular tongue. And so this would include uh, praying in other tongues. 
Verse 27 says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I think you all know, if you don't, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to sh- share it now. Uh, the Bible was not divided into chapters and verses until the 13th century. And uh, the positive aspect of it is that it helps us to, uh, to find and identify certain passages. But the downside is that it makes it very easy to take certain passages out of context and to just memorize a verse and apply a verse. We should not remove verse 28 from the context of verses 26 and 27. Because they, when Paul wrote these, it, it, it all flowed together. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Is It flows out of the Spirit helping our infirmities and, and empowering us to pray and causing us to pray with groanings which cannot be uttered. And sometimes there is prayer that is so deep we are not able to express it in our own language and tongue. I remember a, a man, I, he was Dutch, and I remember him sh- sharing about the first time he spoke in tongues or prayed in tongues. He was he said he was in the Navy, and he was on an aircraft carrier. And one of his friends was a pilot and, and had gone out on a sortie, and he did not return when he was supposed to. And, um, and, 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 and time went on, and, and you know, and it was very serious, and they were wondering what has happened to him. And uh, so he was just so deeply concerned, and he said, I, I went, I, I got alone to pray for him. He said, but I was so deeply concerned, I didn't know what to pray, I didn't know what to say. He said, but all of a sudden, up out of my innermost being, I, the, the, those rivers of living water begin to flow that Jesus spoke about. And he said, I begin praying in other tongues. And it turned out that his friends finally made it back. He was okay. But you see, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We need Spirit-empowered praying. I remember going to Korea in uh, 1988, been quite a few years ago, but um, I was I went there as a guest of the pastor, founding pastor of the largest church in the world, the Yoido Full Gospel Church. Now, uh, this this man, David Yonggi Cho, he's gone on to be with the Lord since then. But at that time, this one congregation had 700,000 members and were growing at the rate of 13,000 per month. Um, I was living in Tulsa at the time. I was actually working on a master's degree at Oral Roberts University. I was already in the ministry, but I was working on a master's degree. And Oral Roberts uh, ministry paid my way to a pastor's leadership conference there at the Yoido Full Gospel Church in Seoul, South Korea. And Yonggi Cho, the founding founder pastor there, he paid for all of my expenses while I was there. So it was a wonderful opportunity. And the one thing, one thing that that one thing that really impressed me, two things, was the uh, the involvement of women in the leadership of that congregation. 
Well, the co-founder was a woman who was his mother-in-law. Now, they, she wasn't his mother-in-law when they founded the church, but he was a, a young man, I think, in his 20s, and she was a, a woman somewhat older than him. He later married her daughter. But they together founded this church in the slums of South Korea, of, of, of Seoul, South Korea, after the Korean War, in an old tent that the American army left behind. And uh, But the, the church grew and became very wealthy and prosperous and a missionary church, sending missionaries all over the world, even to America. Uh, but the thing that stood out to me, two things, was the involvement of women in the leadership. Uh, they had over 600 pastors. Two-thirds of their pastors were women. They had 50,000, they called them cell groups, home Bible studies, people might call them today. But they, they weren't just Bible studies. Yeah, they studied the Bible, but they were, they were, they were praying <laughs> units, praying cell units. And of the 50,000, and this is where most of the growth was coming in, was through these home cell meetings, uh, was bringing in most of the growth, 13,000 new people per month. And of the 50,000, 48,000 were led by women. The other thing that stood out to me was the spirit of prayer, the spirit in Powered prayer that was upon the entire congregation. And I asked a woman, an American missionary who had been working there in that church since 1965, she said, well, she said in the early days when things were so desperate, and Pastor Yonggi Cho lived in a little hut with not one single piece of furniture, with a dirt floor and not one single piece of furniture. He said we, we she said they learned to pray fervently, desperately, totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And she said, now with all the new people coming in, they see everybody praying like this, and they think this is just how it's supposed to be. Let me give you an example. The first service I went to was on a Wednesday afternoon. It was one of three services that they had on Wednesday. They had 12 services per week to try to um, accommodate the massive crowds. Can you imagine 700,000 members? And they had a 25,000-seat auditorium with, with uh, other rooms with uh, closed-circuit TV where they could accommodate 50,000 people in a single service. In this uh, Wednesday afternoon service, there were at least 20,000 people there. Uh, and I got there probably 45 minutes early, and I took a seat, and I, and I noticed people were coming in. And as people would take a seat, they weren't fellowshipping. They were talking. They would sit in their seat and walk back and forth, praying fervently with all their hearts. And uh, and finally, the place was was full, and I, I looked all around, and way in a corner of a balcony, I saw a few empty seats. That's why I say there were over 20,000 people there on just a regular Wednesday afternoon service. Well, when it was time to start, the, the, the pastor, one of the 600 pastors was leading the service. He rang a bell. That was a sign for people to stop praying. And so he, he made an announcement prayed a prayer, and then a choir started to sing. And I noticed when the choir started saying, I thought everybody was just talking and fellowshipping, but I got to looking around. No, they're not talking, they're praying. And I noticed all throughout the service, every time the people's attention was not demanded at the front, the place was like a volcano of prayer. It would explode in prayer. And so when the, the choir stopped singing, he had to ring the bell to get them to stop. When they took up the offering, the place erupted in prayer. And when the offering was finished, he had to ring the bell to get them to stop. 
And all throughout the service, he had to keep ringing the bell to get them to stop praying so they could get on with the service. Somebody asked the senior pastor, Yonggi Cho, said, what would happen if you never rang the bell? He said, I don't know. Uh, Every Friday night, they had an all-night prayer meeting. I went to their all-night prayer meeting. Their 25,000-seat auditorium was packed with people standing around the the back walls and, and people uh, sitting in chairs on the aisles and sitting on the steps of the platform on this same kind of fervent prayer, lifting their hearts up to God. I just I had to leave at midnight to get back to my hotel to catch up. I don't know. I guess it was a bus I had to catch to get up to my hotel. And as I I, I left and went out the, the these massive front doors and these massive steps leading up to this Colosseum, which was their church. People were outside sitting on the steps, praying fervently, lifting up their hearts to God, praying for revival, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, wow, no wonder God is pouring out his spirit upon South Korea. No wonder, at that time at least, there were more spiritual births into the kingdom of God than there were natural births. In, in South Korea. Oh, may we see that again. May we see it in America and Ireland and Canada and other nations. May we see more spiritual births into the kingdom than natural births. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing? But it was happening because the people were praying spirit-empowered prayers. Oh, I pray that a spirit of prayer will come upon each person listening to this episode. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will flow through us in spirit-empowered prayers, praying prayers that we would not know to pray on our own. And spirit-empowered prayers will bring results. God bless you. I'm Eddie Hyatt. So glad you're joining me for this series on uh, characteristics of a a heaven-sent revival. Check out my website, eddiehyatt.com. The book I'm recommending uh, during this series is 1726 with the Subtitle, The Year That Defined America. It's all about the great awakenings in America and the impact that they had. And it's encouraging for us today because if if, if God would do it for that generation, he will do it for this generation if he will find the people who will commit themselves to pray and to believe him and to obey him. God bless you all. If I can be a blessing to you in any way, you can contact me. My contact information is there on my website, eddiehyatt.com, and I look forward to seeing you next time.